0: The text for the message this morning is First Samuel five and six, five verse one to seven verse one. We'll read that together. It's on page two hundred and twenty-eight in the pew Bible. And as we're reading through this, the children, you can see how it shows that God is supreme over other gods, and maybe as you're reading along, you can hear and listen for that, and then also how God even humbles other nations. 1 Samuel chapter 5, starting at verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon In Ashdod, to this day, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people." For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So he must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch if it goes up on the way to its own land to Beth Shemesh then it is he who has done us this great harm but if not then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us it happened to us by coincidence the men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there a great stone was there and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord and the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it in which were the golden figures and set them up upon the great stone and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, Belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord." for the reading of the scriptures beloved church of our lord and savior jesus christ if you could see and remember from last week first samuel chapter 4 that the lord revealed that he cannot be controlled by people the ark of the covenant could not be used as a handle to move god around this leads us to ask the question why did God command Moses to make an ark at all? Why make himself vulnerable to such an abuse of His holiness? You know why? It was because God wanted to give His people the comfort of knowing that although His glory fills the heavens, He is also present among them. The ark of the covenant was a symbol of his desire to live in a relationship with his people. It symbolizes his willingness to to be with his people as he carried them along through the trials to glory. It also prepared the people for the day when the Son of God who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature like we read in Hebrews 1 verse 3 when that Son of God would take on our human flesh and dwell among us, and then later send God the Spirit to dwell in our hearts. As we saw last week, by placing the Ark of the Covenant with them on earth, the Lord was revealing His willingness to humble Himself and even expose His name to shame for the sake of keeping the promises of salvation And we can see how this prepares the church for understanding the suffering of the Son of God and any disgrace or trial we may suffer as a result of following Jesus Christ. Our text this week, chapters 5 and 6, which describe how the Lord now brought that ark out of the grave of shame in the midst of the Philistines back to the promised land, where it could once again give hope and comfort of the gospel message to the people of God, that prepares the church for the work of Christ in His return to glory from the grave. As the Lord was willing to suffer the shame of having the symbol of His glory captured, and so share in the consequences of of the punishment against His people, so the Son of God was willing to come into the world to bear the consequences of our sin. And now as as the Lord humbled His enemies and guided the ark of the covenant back to its place, so the Son of God broke the teeth of the grave and was exalted to His heavenly throne so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. The Lord reveals His power The Lord reveals, like we read in Isaiah 46, His his plan from the very beginning to the end. As He raised the ark, that symbol of His presence and His glory among the people up from the grave of shame. Our text makes it clear that the Lord can and will be glorified in the midst of His enemies so that we may dwell with Him in peace forever. And I preach this gospel under the theme that the Lord exalts the fame of His name after the shame. We will see the hand of the Lord, the holiness of the Lord, and our hope in the Lord. And the first thing that the Lord made clear to the Philistines, and that's especially in chapter 5, in the beginning part of chapter 6, is that, that the Lord is God and there is no other Like Isaiah 46 verse 9 said, there is none like him. Although the symbol of God's presence, that ark, was placed in the temple of a foreign god named Dagon, who was probably a wheat god, a father to the idol Baal, they were wrong to think that they had been able to subdue the creator of heaven and earth. They thought that they had taken the Lord when they took the Ark of the Covenant. But as a result of their insolence, we read that they ended up having to take up the idol and set Dagon back on his feet again. As Isaiah explained, the big difference between the idols and the Lord is that the idols need to be carried around. They need to be taken and and set up again when they fall. But the Lord Almighty we worship actually carries his worshipers in this life. Well, the next day, when Dagon had fallen face downward a second time in that position of submission before the ark of the Lord, its head and both its hands were lying cut off on the threshold, the head that was needed to lead and the hands that the people were counting on for for providing them with what they needed, they had been broken off. Only a fool would miss the revelation of that event. For those of us who know the Lord, it might even make us laugh how clearly the Lord showed His supremacy certainly got the Philistines thinking about whose hand it may be that was sending all the suffering to their land. Several times in our text we read about the hand of the Lord. It's actually seven times in our text. The Spirit tells us that the Lord's hand was heavy against the people of Ashdod, terrifying and affecting them with tumors. Verse 6 of chapter 5. And the Ashdodians recognized themselves that it was the hand of God that was hard against them and against Dagon, their God, in verse 7. And we read the hand of the Lord was against Gath, the next city, the next major city among the Philistines. And it caused a great panic and afflicted both the old and the young men so that that tumors broke out on them. And after that, his hand was heavy again in Ekron, and maybe we smirked again when they, they saw the ark coming. They said, What are you trying to do? Kill us? We're, we're one of you. Why are you bringing that to us? Until the, the priests gave the suggestion ways that they might lighten God's hand from them and their gods and their land, like we read in chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. Well, from the guilt offering that the Philistines prepared, it appears that the hand of the Lord had punished the Philistines with, with mice, along with the tumors. in a terrifying plague that makes us think of the descriptions of the bubonic plague and its black death. God's hand brought the nations to their, this nation to their knees. And they resolved to learn their lesson from what happened in Egypt. They learned, they resolved not to harden their hearts against the mighty hand of God Almighty. They resolved, and we read it in chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, they resolved to give glory to the God of Israel. They wanted to give glory to the God whom they came to recognize as more powerful than any of the gods that they honored. We do not need to doubt the power of the God we worship. The procession of the Ark of the Covenant out from its grave of shame, attended by God's vanquished, terrified, and, and humbled enemies, left no doubt that after the shame, God was exalting the fame of his name in the world. And As you read the text, you can see how the priest tried to to stack the deck against God to ensure that he could only prove that it was his hand that had worked the miracle if he did one more miracle in the bringing of the ark back. We read about that bringing the ark back and what they said they needed to do and what the people eventually did as well. And we could see that they were making it difficult, we could say, to, for the Lord to prove that it was His hand and no coincidence. I'm not a, a farmer, but it seems that the natural inclination of a milk cow is to be with its calf. And a cow that's not accustomed to a yoke and a carriage would not be expected to just pull it the very first time that it's hitched up. And the lowing of the cows, it points to a a separation anxiety, shows that they they were walking to Beth Shemesh against their will. And then we read of their straight, undistracted route. It would have been very surprising to see that if they had not been led as if by a halter. And when they stopped of their own accord, there in Beth Shemesh, verse 14 of chapter 6, their behavior was enough to convince the the Philistines. They went home, they said, we're convinced. The Ark of the Covenant of the God of Israel had been brought back to its place by the hand of the Lord although he was supposed to have been humiliated by the capture of the ark, the Lord received more glory than ever before. The symbol of His glory was was raised up from the grave of shame, and the Lord God of Israel was honored. And the revelation of God's ability to, to bring glory to His name, even after the shame, that points us forward to another time When God came down to earth to bring salvation for his people. When they crucified the Lord Jesus they thought they had killed a powerless anti-temple rebel and insurrectionist. Like they were bringing him down to the temple of their false God. They stripped him and mocked him and spit upon him. They raised their fists in rebellion against the God that He claimed to be their Father, and, and they cursed Him. They believed that they could earn their way into heaven by their own works. They didn't need the grace of God revealed to them in the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. His enemies thought they had won. It looked. Like shame, the disciples scattered. The tomb was sealed. The guard was set around it to ensure that the resurrection was no coincidence. But like the Pharisees, or like the Philistines, who soon discovered that they had been fighting against the creator of heaven and earth, so also Jesus' enemies would discover that they had attempted to kill the author of life, who was innocent of all sin, and who had, been, who had humbled himself even unto death in the knowledge that he would rise again for his church. He would not remain in the shame. Hebrews 12 verse 2 summarizes that. Philippians 2 summarizes that as well. As, as he was raised from the dead, he was, he was exalted. He would not suffer forever. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave of shame under the wrath of God where he shared in the consequences of of God's own punishment against us. Like the ark being carried out of the enemy territory into the promised land, he has entered the land of the living so that through him we may worship God forever as we draw near to his holy presence. You see the holiness of the Lord. Chapter 6 verse 13 describes what happened when the ark arrived in the promised land. The the people of Beth Shemesh rejoiced to see it. The symbol of the Lord's presence was was back in the promised land where his people lived. The return of the ark symbolized a, a restoration of the relationship between God and his people. Ichabod's name, that means no glory, or where is the glory, would not describe a permanent situation. And the men of Beth Shemesh, using the gifts of the nations to honor the one true God, they burnt the ark and they offered the cows as burnt offerings, which showed their their dedication, their desire to dedicate themselves to the Lord. And we're not told what kind of sacrifices they offered besides burnt offerings. Hopefully, they were sin or guilt offerings that showed that they too, like the Philistines, recognized that they had sinned against the Lord Most High. The great stone in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh would ensure that the people of God would, would always remember the grace of God toward them. And how the return of the ark was this promise of peace and restoration. In spite of their sins, God is merciful and gracious. In spite of the hardening of their heart, the Lord acts and shows His grace. But that grace can only be understood if we also understand the holiness of the Lord. The church had to learn that Reconciliation with God is not achieved by God becoming less holy. Although he, he came down to dwell in our midst, it doesn't mean He has become less holy. Sometimes when we hear of God's grace and His, his mercy to us, we forget about His holiness. Our text tells us in verse 19 that the men of Beth Shemesh looked upon the ark of the Lord. This could mean that they literally looked upon it or even in it, which was completely against the Lord's commands in Numbers chapter 4, where the Lord gave careful instructions that the ark of the testimony had to be carefully covered and not touched, and that the punishment for looking on the holy things even for a moment was death. It is also possible that this sin of looking upon the ark of the Lord was the same sin as the elders of Israel who had only looked at the ark as if God was contained in it and did not lift their hearts on high where the Lord dwells. They just looked at the ark, they thought that was it. They didn't see the message that the Lord was sending. By bringing that ark out of the darkness of his enemies, interestingly, the Greek translation of the Old Testament—it's called the Septuagint—which usually just serves as a mere commentary—has a, a little extra line that we can't see where it even comes from. But it says that the sons of Jeconiah did not rejoice. It points to that as the sin. The commentary suggests that the sin at that time was that they were being indifferent to God. In any case, the the point is clear that some of the people of the town did not worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness when that ark came back to the land. Some of the people of Beth Shemesh showed disdain toward the Lord and His grace. Some made light of His holiness And so the Lord struck them with a great blow. Right there in that very act of of restoration and and, and the promise of hope, the holiness of the Lord was revealed. The exact number of the dead is disputed due to some questions about the text and its interpretation. But the message God sent was very clear. It It was a great blow against the people of Beth Shemesh. And the first part of the response of the men, you can see that in verse 20. The first part of that response captures the proper attitude of a, of a sinner before our holy God. The question, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Indeed, the Lord will punish those who, who, uh, who show disdain for Him. Who show contempt For his holiness, who ignore the the, the fact of his sovereignty, even in the very act of, of declaring his majesty and his mercy to his people, as he did when the ark was being brought back. The text reminds us that he will not tolerate those who confuse his kindness with smallness. He is a God who, who helps you, but He is big. He is, he is a holy God who helps you. And it's a r- reminder for us, even as we celebrate the good news of God's grace and the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, that, that we aren't to be casual in our worship of our Lord and Savior, not to be indifferent in our attitude. We can apply this same need for For an attitude of fear and reverence as Hebrews says when we we come into the presence of of our Lord Jesus Christ who who is that exact representation of the glory of our God. He is love but His love should not confuse us into thinking that He is not holy. Revelation chapter 1 makes it clear that the ascended Christ is, is glorious and powerful in majesty. That's the the, the vision that talks of him holding the churches in his hand. He is at the right hand of God where he is to be worshipped and adored. Although we have peace with God in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that God, the God we worship is less holy. And yet the holiness of our God should not frighten us so that we look to a, another for our help and salvation. The second part of the response of the men of Beth Shemesh in verse 20 was not correct. For they concluded, from the holiness of God, they said, and to whom shall he go up away from us? The men of Beth Shemesh react like the Gerasenes did when they asked Jesus to, to leave them after he restored the man plagued with demons and sent those demons into the pig's. They wanted to, to get rid of the, the Holy Lord from their midst because His holiness made them tremble too much. His, His glory was, was too great. They felt exposed. They wanted to get rid of the Holy One instead of humbling themselves before the Holy One. Instead of coming into His presence and to His light and confessing their sins and receiving His grace, and His mercy. We know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because He came down to earth to manifest God's love for us. When He promises us the forgiveness of our sins, He he makes it necessary for us to to confess our sins. Sometimes we might not like that light of the Gospel shining on our lives and exposing our need for God's grace. That's why we might respond like the men of Beth Shemesh and say, the Lord is holy. Get him away from me. But then we might miss out on the message of grace, the promise of atonement, the promise of peace with that holy God that Christ obtained for us. In him there's hope. We see our hope in the Lord. The message of our text is that our God sees all things and controls everything. He he overcomes all the attacks of the enemies. He he even overcomes unbelief among His people. And He did so bringing salvation through His voluntary humiliation, even to death. And when the gospel of His victory is proclaimed, He calls each one of us not to shake our fists at Him, not to tell him to go away with his holiness, but to bow before him in worship. We see that come clearly through in Philippians chapter 2, that chapter that speaks of how our Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself, but then after the shame we read he was exalted to the, name, exalted to the right hand of God. And we'll sing it in hymn 23. We'll call one another, let at the name of Jesus every knee now humbly bow before his majesty today we see how Christ was obedient to that plan of salvation that the Lord already revealed in in, in the revelation of himself in the days of Samuel our Lord Jesus bore the punishment he passed through the shame and he was raised from the dead to glory So that we might share in the new life that He has obtained for us. The Lord exalts the fame of His name after the shame. And His victorious Son has sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. To guide us by His word so that we may continually humble ourselves before Him. The same God that we worship today remains holy and sovereign over all the powers of the universe. He sent His Son to atone for our sins, but He did this because of His everlasting love for each one of us. And our prayers to Him reflect our thankfulness for that peace that He has obtained through Jesus Christ, first of all. Last week we thought a little bit about what, that, what our prayers are about if we're just treating God as a useful God. Now we see the glory of His name exalted. And we understand that that our prayers are indeed adoration and and, and joy and and receiving of the comfort that God has obtained for us. We're filled with a great desire to to dedicate our lives to Him just as the Israelites responded with those burnt offerings. So we want to use everything we have to the service of the Lord. And that's why our prayers also include petitions offered in the hope of serving Him. It's not selfishness to to ask for God to protect and to heal and to care for our lives and the lives of our loved ones when our focus is on serving Him. Jesus taught us to, to pray for these very things as we ask for the Lord to fulfill His promises. He has even told us that He will ensure that our sincere desires will be granted when we pray in accordance with God's will and in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there we are. we, We pray, basking in the glory of His name, understanding that He dwells in our hearts and He guides us. When we look at the events of our text, we can see the connections between the ark of the covenant of the Lord in the Old Testament the incarnate Son of God and the church who is united to Jesus Christ, united with Christ who is the the radiance of the glory of God, we also may represent the glory and the presence of God on the earth who has told us that he is enthroned on our praises. He makes his presence known on earth by dwelling in our hearts. We bear the the name of the Lord God most high on our heads. And every time we, we think about this text in 1 Samuel, we can see how it assures us that God will always carry us through the shame to glory for the sake of his name. Although sometimes it looks like the enemy has won. The enemy is powerless against the Lord our God, whose name we bear. Even the last enemy, which Christ has destroyed by his own death and resurrection, cannot hold us down. May we cling to this hope in times of despair. May we understand who we are in God's sight, in Jesus Christ. He is able to sympathize. He loves us and what is best for us. He cares for about our needs, and He carries us to glory. Amen. We'll now sing together Philippians chapter 2 as it's put to music, especially noting the last stanzas we're together, we confess our desire to humbly bow before the, the majesty of our God. Hymn 23, and we'll sing the standing if you're able to stand.